All right, we come to this passage. And uh, I'm probably going to have to leave my glasses on much to Steph's chagrin. They're going to stay on my eyes. Don't worry. Uh, because we've got a lot to read. But I want to prep you for reading sermon, Stephen's sermon. I think it's a huge sermon for us to read. Because this is the sermon that led to the first martyrdom of a Christian recorded in Scripture. This is a sermon that no doubt picked up on what Peter had already been preaching, that Jesus was both leader and Savior, that Jesus coming fulfilled the law in its entirety, and in so doing, dying on the cross, made the sacrifices of the temple obsolete, replacing the temple with himself as the dwelling of God. That's an amazing, shattering reality of what it means that Jesus has done this. We see that Stephen, in these very first verses, was told to be be the possessor of great wisdom. That the wisdom with which he spoke and the spirit with which he spoke couldn't be withstood. It couldn't be challenged. It was so strong and so bold. This sermon is so important to us. Some have argued that it's the foundation of who the Apostle Paul would become and how he himself would understand the gospel. Others have said that if Stephen hadn't have been martyred, we would believe that he probably wrote the book of Hebrews that compares Jesus to everything within the Old Testament and finds Jesus better. This sermon is before us. And if you're here today not a believer, this sermon helps you in understanding why Jesus. What's so important about Jesus? And as a believer, it helps you to ask the question, what does it really mean to bear witness to Christ? To bear witness to Him. And so what I want you to see as we read through this is I want you to see Luke's aim, okay? It's important to kind of grasp this overall aim as you hear the parts read, and I'm going to break it up into parts for you. Luke's aim is this. Luke is saying to the leaders of God's people, to the leaders of the temple, to the elders in Jerusalem, you, like your fathers, have rejected God's deliverer and have chosen instead to worship an idol. You've turned to the temple even as your fathers turned to Egypt and you have disregarded God's law. That's what got Stephen in such trouble. He said that you, just like your fathers, have rejected God's deliverer and you've chosen instead to worship an idol. You've turned to the temple even as your fathers turned to Egypt and you've disregarded God's law. So let me show you how it works. We're going to read the first eight verses together. I want you to see that what Stephen does is he sets the entirety of the Old Testament in the context of God's promise and his promise to fulfill that promise, that it rests solely on God's shoulders. This is verse 1 through 8. Are you ready? Page 914. Read it with me. And Stephen, well, you know, not, in, not with me. Don't, you don't have to start with me. Mari looked at me and she goes, are you serious? Not with me. Just look at it. 914, all right? And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing, oh, we just read this. Excuse me, verses 1 through 8. 
Stephen's speech. And the high priest said, Stephen, are these things so? You know, the things that they just said about him. The thing that he never ceases to speak against the holy place and the law that he had heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs of Moses. He says, Stephen, are these things stow? And Stephen says, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went into the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into the land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. Stephen starts his sermon off rooting God's relationship with his people in God's promise to give them a place and a place specifically for worship. He says to Abraham that he'll make Abraham a great nation and that through him he will bless all the nations of the world. But immediately this promise is in jeopardy because Abraham doesn't have a child. And so God sends Isaac, this precursor to a deliverer. And in Isaac, even there on Mount Moriah, where God would call Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and then say, stop, no, God meets Abraham and Isaac and they worship there and God provides for them. We see that Abraham responds in obedience. He worships and that this covenant of relationship rests on promise, on dependence on God and his word. And then Stephen moves into the next section where he says that, look, I want you to see from the very beginning, our fathers have rejected God's deliverers. This is verse 9 through 16, and this one's going to be about their rejection of Joseph. So listen to it. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem, and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. Stephen goes straight from this concept that God's relationship with his people is based on promise, in which God promises to fulfill his promises to their rejection of this first deliverer, Joseph. 
The story of Joseph being rejected, you can read it in Genesis as Joseph stands before his brothers in the 37th chapter of Genesis and declares to them, God's given me a dream and I am going to rule over you. And it tells us here that Joseph's brothers were jealous because of him. And so they sold him into Egypt. But what we find out is that God was with Joseph in Egypt. In fact, he gave Joseph favor and wisdom with Pharaoh. Isn't it interesting? The same words that, that, that Luke uses of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, how he grew in wisdom and favor and stature before God and men. And here we see the jeopardy again, don't we? The idea of a famine. But we see God promise is sustained through Joseph. And the generations pass there in Egypt. And Joseph instructed them, take my bones and the bones of my father back to the promised land where Abraham bought that tomb and put them there. The focus is still on the promised land where God would meet them and they would worship him. But here we see Joseph the deliverer of God rejected by his brothers. In verses 17 and 34, 17 through 34, Stephen goes on to explain that this rejection carried on through Moses as well. Read that with me. But at this time of the pro- but as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in word and deed. And he was 40 years old. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them, and as they were quarreling, And as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness at Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet, for the ground where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning, and I have come to deliver them, and now come, I will send you to Egypt. We see in these verses that God raised up his servant Moses as his deliverer. 
We see that Moses in verse 20 was also defined as beautiful. He was also defined as wise in verse 22. And that here, just like Jesus was described in the same manner, God was with Moses and he met Moses at the burning bush. God was with his deliverer and there Moses removed his shoes and he worshiped God at the burning bush. And God was going to use Moses to deliver his people so that they might worship him in the promised land. But what we see that those people from the moment that they met Moses, the Israelites who Moses tried to intervene with and tell them to stop fighting with each other, they rejected him. And Stephen is saying, look, our fathers rejected Moses from the beginning. And then the last set of what Stephen does is in verses 35 through 53. And he says, look, like father, like son, just like our fathers have rejected the deliverer that God has sent and with whom God has come, they have also rejected his living oracles and so have you. Listen to how he unfolds that in these verses, verses 35 through 53. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai. You remember this, the giving of the law, right? And with our fathers, he received living oracles to give to us. And here it is, the gist of this section. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the hosts of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God, Rapham, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. He goes on to say that our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of the Lord and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? And here, like father, like son, verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one 
whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Stephen finishes his sermon by saying, just like the fathers who rejected God's deliverers from the beginning, here he says they rejected Moses. And it says right there in verse 39, instead of turning to the Lord and toward the promised land, they turned back toward Egypt, away from the promise of God. And they entrusted themselves to idols that Aaron made. And they rejoiced in the works of their hands. It says that there in verses 42 that God turned away from them. And he said to them as they gave worship to other gods, he said to them, it wasn't to me that you had been sacrificing in the temple, but it was to your other gods that you had been sacrificing. And, Mo and Stephen even says, look, they had the tent of witness, the tabernacle with them that testified to their need for a deliverer. But instead of entrusting themselves to a deliverer, they ignored it. And then he went on to say that they even ended up building a temple. He said that David asked the Lord if he could build a temple. God said no, Solomon ended up building a temple. But Stephen takes this passage from Isaiah 66 where God says, I don't need a house to live in. Everything that you see, I've made these with my hands. He says, what kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? But instead, they housed their God. They put him in the temple. And the sons followed in suit. This is why he goes on to say, you stiff-necked people. Because the sons worshipped the temple as if God's presence were there. And they rejected the one to whom the temple pointed, Jesus, in all of its sacrifices, in all of its quest and need and demand for deliverance from their sin. They rejected the one to whom they, it witnessed, the righteous one, as Stephen picks up the same language that the Apostle Paul had used earlier. And instead, they who received the law they who received the law didn't even keep it. And then, as if the irony couldn't get deeper, he said, which of the prophets did your fathers not kill who prophesied of the one to come? And here, even in this, they turn to kill Stephen. They're about to kill the prophet who testifies back to the righteous one, the deliverer with whom God is present, Jesus Stephen's sermon is simply saying this. You, like your fathers, have rejected God's deliverer, whom he is with, and have chosen instead to worship an idol. Turning the temple, turning to the temple in the same way your fathers turned to Egypt and disregarding the very law of God. And you see what happens in these next few verses, verses 40, 54 to the end. Stephen beholds God's deliverer, Jesus. God's deliverer, Jesus, standing at the right hand of the Father. Listen to what happens. And now, 
When they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen, who has declared that it was not him who had spoken against Moses and against that law, but it was the rulers of the people and their fathers who had rejected Moses and who had rejected the law. That Stephen who said it's actually Jesus who came to fulfill the law and who in his sacrifice made the sacrifices of the temple obsolete. It's this Jesus who is the deliverer who just like your fathers, you have rejected. And you have turned to gods or to other gods who are no gods at all. Idols, the works of human hands, even this empty temple. This Stephen sees God's deliverer, Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. He calls him the Son of Man, a reference to Daniel 7, where Daniel looks into heaven and sees one like the Son of Man receiving from God a dominion and glory and a kingdom. And just as Stephen had predicted, like their fathers, they stoned Stephen as a prophet who was the first to declare that Jesus and Christ alone is God's deliverer. This is Stephen's sermon. This is how we should understand Stephen's sermon. What do we get from it? God is to be worshipped in Jesus. His ultimate deliverer from injustice. Therefore, we worship him with his body, the church. And we proclaim him alone as the hope for humanity. God is to be worshipped in Jesus, who is his ultimate deliverer from injustice. As a non-believer, you may ask, why is Jesus so important? Jesus is so important because from the very beginning of the history of Scripture, God has promised a deliverer. And each of those deliverers that prefigured Christ were rejected by God's people. But a deliverer is needed. And as one who is yet to put their faith in Christ, that may be offensive. But the Bible is clear from the beginning, you cannot save yourself. But our salvation 
from human sin has to come from outside of ourselves. Jesus is our deliverer. We need to know this. We need to remember this. God is to be worshipped in Christ alone, who is his ultimate deliverer from injustice. This passage that Stephen takes here in, what verse is it, 42 and 43, he says, Did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? He's saying, look, even in this tent, because you worshipped me and you worshipped other gods, when you sacrificed, you didn't sacrifice to me. You were sacrificing to your other gods. He says, you took up the tent or the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your God, Raphim, the images that you had made to worship. And God says, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. The rejection of God and of his deliverance. This passage precedes one or comes after one that is very famous to you. And you know this passage in Amos. I should have looked it up, but, uh, or I should have marked it, but let me see if I can find it real quick. Joel Amos, there we go. In Amos chapter 5, listen to what it says here, this verse that precedes this. But lest justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This is the quote that I put on the front of the order of worship. Why is Jesus so important because with Jesus, God's justice flows down and rolls down like waters in righteousness, like an ever-flowing stream. It is right that we ought to want justice and that justice ought to be sought. God's justice. You guys know that Martin Luther King Jr. used this in his speech, I Have a Dream, right? You know that this longing for justice and for freedom for the oppression is good, but it cannot be co-opted from Christ. Jesus is the deliverer who took the wrath of God so that he would receive all of the justice and all of the wrath that any of us who put our faith and trust in Christ are relieved from we ought to long for justice, but we ought to know that God's justice cannot be co-opted. And the other thing that we ought to understand is that God has made it clear that his justice will start with his people. The other verse that he picked out of this in verse 49 and 50 is actually Isaiah 66. When Stephen says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool, what kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Stephen is saying, look, God never asked to have him to have a temple in which he would reside. That was your call. But God did say with whom he would reside. And even following that passage in Isaiah 66, listen to what you read about where God would reside. For thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand had made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one in whom I will look, in whom I will find favor. He who is humble and contrite in spirit 
and trembles at my word. You see, it is recognizing that Jesus is God's deliverer. Recognizing that we are those who need to be delivered. That we are those who deserve God's justice. Those who are humbled before God, contrite in their spirit and tremble at God's word. The very opposite of what these leaders of God's people were doing during the time of Stephen. Stephen makes it clear, God is either worshiped or an idol is worshiped. God cannot be housed and worshiped on one day and then the other six days, the works of our hands worshiped. Either an idol or a temple or anything else that you and I think is gonna deliver us. Nothing else can be worshiped. Only God in Christ because God makes himself known in his deliverer and in him only. And finally, Jesus is the hope for all humanity because Jesus transforms human beings who tend toward idolatry to put their trust in him and ultimately to see their lives sacrificed for his glory. Why Jesus? Why is Jesus so important? Because he is the ultimate deliverer of the Lord with whom the Lord comes. We worship him in Christ. Jesus is everything to us. And what does it mean to bear witness to him? It means that we bear witness to our own need of a deliverer, our own need, and that we long for justice. We long for justice to come. We worship God. And we know that Christ is our only hope. Jesus transforms human lives. And even moves them so that they might sacrifice their lives. This is what we see in Stephen's life. All this week, I was singing a song in my head. Some of you love the artist Rich Mullins, Christian musician who was killed early in a car accident, but whose poetry and songs were so powerful. And one song that he sang simply said over and over, my deliverer is coming. My deliverer is standing by. My deliverer is coming. My deliverer is standing by. Stephen could have said those words as he proclaimed Christ is the deliverer. My deliverer is coming and he is standing by. I see him now seated at the right hand of the Father. Mullins goes on to say, he will never break his promise. Though the stars should break faith with the sky, my deliverer is coming. My deliverer is standing by. And it's why the entirety of the scripture closes with come, Lord Jesus.
come. This is why Jesus is everything to Christianity. And this is what it means for you and me to bear witness to him. This sermon is long. This sermon is complicated. This sermon wraps together the history of Israel. But it's so important to look at because Jesus is the ultimate, even in this sermon, and even as we come to celebrate his deliverance at this table. Come and join me.